as we draw to the conclusion of this Catholic men's conference, hearing today's gospel, the call of Matthew, I am reminded of the church of San Luigi dei Francesi in Rome. There in this particular church, which was the bane of my existence because I would have to go for three hours every Thursday night to study French in Italian, uh, <laughs> I would stop in the church and make a visit, and there in this church is a famous painting of Caravaggio, the Chiamata di San Matteo, the call of St. Matthew. There that the pa painting shows Christ and St. Peter uh, dressed in kind of their traditional garb, and Jesus is signaling toward Matthew sitting at the tax collector's table. There is a window behind them, and the light is shining forth through the, the glass. The frame of the glass is that of a cross, and there is an elderly man there pointing at himself as if to say, who, me? And there is a young man looking down at the coins, looking on the table, disillusioned. People come, and they look at this beautiful painting, but it's the call of St. Matthew, Levi. He leaves his customs post and begins to follow after Jesus immediately. Jesus simply says two words, follow me. Jesus had said something similar to Peter and Andrew, follow me, and they left their fishermen's nets. James and his brother John, and they left their nets and their father and their boat, and they followed him. At the very word, of Jesus, in the presence of the eternal word, there is an immediate response from Matthew. How do we respond to the call, to the call to holiness, the call to be saints? Is it with a certain degree of urgency, or do we respond in a lackluster way? Do we respond with great enthusiasm? Matthew got up from his tax collector's post, or do we respond with a lack of enthusiasm, kind of begrudgingly do we go. What is it about Jesus' original presence that attracted Matthew? It must have attracted him more than money. Matthew, as a tax collector, Levi, would have been a very well-to-do man. He collected taxes for their Roman oppressors. And the more that he collected, the more that he could keep for himself. He perhaps had many of this world's goods, but was perhaps also, like Zacchaeus elsewhere in St. Luke's Gospel, was despised by his own people. The Beatles song is, money can't buy me love, and it can't. We can have all of this world's goods and lack that which is truly essential, love. But somehow or the other, Jesus gazed upon Levi saw him in his misery, could read into his soul, and he said, follow me. Jesus did not force him to follow. Jesus invited him. Jesus does not force us to be his disciples. He invites. How do we respond? How do we use our freedom to say yes to Jesus and no to the things of this world? Because we can acquire many, many possessions, but not really experience true love or true joy. There was a man in my first parish 20 years ago. He had seven children, and he had his man cave down in his basement with a big screen television, a picture of then-President George W. Bush, the American flag, and a bunch of his guns on the wall. 
and he'd, he'd come back from work, and his kids would be all over him, and he'd push him aside and go down to his man cave and sit there in the chair with his beer and put on the television and watch his television. He's like, Father, I love television. I love television. I can watch television all day long. He said, but you know what? TV never loves me back. My wife, my kids, they love me back. You will never find true love looking at your phone or your iPad. You will find it right in front of you in the person of Jesus Christ. And Christ's presence is mediated in and through the church. Christ's presence is often mediated in and through our family members and friends. We encounter Christ not only when we, the church gathers for worship, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. In the proclamation of the word, especially in the gospel, we encounter him in the person of the priest, but above all, we encounter him in the Holy Eucharist. I often quote Pope Benedict XVI, who said, being a Christian is not a result of an ethical choice or lofty idea. It is the result of an encounter with an event or a person who gives our life a decisive direction and opens up new horizons. That is exactly what happened with Levi, with St. Matthew. He encountered a person, an event, that gave his life a decisive direction that opened up a new horizon for him. Think about what Matthew's life would have been like if he had just stayed at his customs posts and just kept collecting taxes. Think about all the experiences he would have missed out on, the miracles he would not have seen. He would have been stuck in his old life, the way of sin, the way of disillusionment. He would never have found true fulfillment or joy. Jesus piqued his curiosity. There was already a longing within him for something better. And one who was outside of him spoke, follow me. We should think about the power of the word. Two words, follow me and you leave your whole life. Have we ever met Jesus in this way? We encounter him in the Eucharist. Very often we go through the motions. But do we listen to his word? And having let his word penetrate our hearts, the word of God is living and effective. It pierces the heart like a two-edged sword. Are we fundamentally changed by it? Do we live differently? Are we content to go back to our old life? Matthew responded in freedom to the call. He said yes to Jesus and left his life of sin and disillusion behind. But he did something else. It wasn't just the personal call and the joy of being gazed upon with mercy and love by the Lord. That is, in fact, what Pope Francis has chosen as his, his motto as Pope. No, it's something more than just simply the gaze of mercy and the call. Matthew is transformed by his encounter with the Lord because what does he do? Then Levi gave a great banquet for him in his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were at table with him. The Pharisees and their scribes complained to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? You see, the scribes and Pharisees had this idea that only those who were righteous would dine at the Father's table in the Father's house. And they saw themselves as strict keepers of the law as the righteous, as the ones who would dine at the father, in the, 
at the Father's table in the Father's house. St. Luke's gospel is filled with this theme of being in the Father's house. The Word of God descended from the Father's house and made his home in the dwelling place of the Blessed Virgin Mary. There was no room for the Word of God to be born. There was no room for them in the inn. And he couldn't be born in a house but in a stable. He was forced to flee even from there into Egypt and then return. When he was 12 years old, he went up to his father's house. And he was lost to the caravan. But there he was. Did you not know I needed to be in my father's house? Did you not know that I needed to be about my father's business? Jesus came to gather God's children into his father's house. And he would suffer upon the cross, rise from the dead, and ascend to the Father's house. In St. Luke's Gospel in the 15th chapter, there's the beautiful story of the prodigal son. Man leaves his father's house. He asks for his inheritance. He squanders it on a life of sin and dissipation and loose women. Finds himself hungry and lower than the pigs. And he says, I, I have sinned against God and my father. I will arise and go to my father's house. And his father embraces him with mercy and compassion, puts a ring on his finger, uh, the royal cloak upon him, sandals on his feet, and slaughters the fattened calf for him. For his son who is dead has come back to life. He who was lost has been found. St. Luke's gospel is about gathering God's children into the father's house. But all of God's children, if they will unite themselves with the Father's only begotten Son. Tax collectors and sinners are doing this. Levi, having been transformed by God's grace, being given the grace of conversion, not only has his sins forgiven, but he changes his life. He welcomes tax collectors and sinners, not condoning their sin, but introducing them now to Jesus. It is significant here. What this is alluding to is that if we unite ourselves to Jesus and remain united to him, we too will have a place at the table in the Father's house. Lent is a time for repentance, of conversion, of getting on the road. Jesus says, follow me. Our responsorial psalm verse, which we heard, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. We need to walk in the way of the Lord Jesus. What is repentance? In Hebrew, there is a word, shev, and it describes walking along a path, and you come to a fork in the road, and it splits. And so let's say you take the left fork, and then you realize this is the wrong way to go, and you literally turn around and come back to the center point, and then walk along the right path. This is what conversion is like. And Pope Francis says we need to be a church that walks together. It's not just that we walk as individuals. We walk together. We are never alone. So many men today receive the sacrament of penance and reconciliation. And it's not just that they have been, convert, they've been reconciled to God. They've been reconciled to God through the church, and they've been reconciled to the church and so reconciled to God. And so together we walk along the right path. We walk in the truth. And Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is the path. He is the path that leads to life. In Greek, 
Shev is translated as metanoia, metanoiete, which means not only being converted, turning ourselves around physically and walking the right path, but changing our way of thinking, changing our way of doing things. You've all had a great experience today, I presume. So when you go home, what will be different about your life? One of our speakers today said, if you go home and you go back to your old ways, you miss the entire point of the day. What did you learn today? What did you see today? How will your life be different because you have encountered God's mercy, because you have received Jesus into your soul? St. Alfonso says, paradise for God is the human heart. So when God comes to dwell in the home that is your heart, or when you have taken the Blessed Virgin Mary into your home, into your interior life, how will you be different? How will you be changed? We can have all the good intentions in the world that we want, but St. Alphonsus says people get all kinds of illumination in prayer. They make no progress in the spiritual life because they make no concrete resolutions. What will be different? St. Matthew must have made some resolutions because he left everything to follow Jesus. Think about how we deprived we would be if we only had three Gospels instead of four. A new horizon was opened up for him, a decisive direction. What is that direction for you? How is God calling you to be a better husband, a better father, a better brother, a better man? Matthew must have had some ability but he wasn't using all his gifts and talents. Jesus is a spiritual entrepreneur. He is a leader, and he leads by example. And he had a vision of salvation for sinners. He did not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. This was his vision, to reconcile sinners to the Father. Jesus surrounded himself with other people who sort of complimented him. They were not the sharpest tools in the shed. They were fishermen, zealots, tax collectors. But Jesus could see that Matthew had some intelligence, being a tax collector, being organized. You need somebody to be organized. But he could see his greater potential. And he looked into his soul and he called him from the mediocrity of merely using his intelligence to the greatness of being an evangelist, one who proclaims the gospel of salvation. He would call him not only to proclaim this gospel, to, to be a witness to it, and to be a servant. And we see in Matthew's house he's already being of service to other tax collectors and sinners by showing hospitality, by showing them that they have a place where they can belong. This is also the mission of the church, to draw sinners to the Father in and through Christ, to welcome them, to welcome them back, to invite them. But there is a risk for us that we are not going to be like Matthew, but rather like the scribes and Pharisees. For we as Catholics, we have the true faith that comes to us from the apostles. We have the fathers of the church and the great saints. We have the tradition. We have the word of God both written and handed down, the scriptures and the tradition. We have the Pope. It's as if we have all the tools 
in our arsenal so we might be content. We could say the same of the scribes and Pharisees. They had the, they had the Torah. They had the tradition of the rabbis. They knew they were more intelligent than the masses, but they lacked the intelligence of the heart to see where mercy and love were needed and to act. Matthew had a twofold intelligence of his mind and his heart. He could see Christ calling him and that this was the solution to all his life's problems. Christ was the solution to his heart's desire for truth and goodness, beauty, and above all, love. And heart spoke to heart. And he followed him. And he was changed. And he changed others because of the gift he had received. We too have received the call. With every gift, there is a task. What greatness is God calling you to? Whom is Christ calling you to invite, to follow him, to be a part of the church? How is Christ calling you to repentance and to be better, to be more? Earlier today, I quoted St. Francis of Sales, be who you are and be that well in honor of the master craftsman whose handiwork you are. St. Matthew would not allow himself to be defined by his weakness. Rather, like St. Peter and St. Paul, repenting of their sins, he rose to true greatness. Our greatness, however, is not measured by our wealth, by our career, by our power. Our greatness is measured by our fidelity, our faithfulness to Christ, our faithfulness to our spouses, to our family, to our commitments. Our greatness is measured by our service, especially of the poorest of the poor. Listen to the words of the prophet Isaiah. If you remove from your midst oppression, false accusation and speech, if you bestow your bread on the hungry and satisfy the afflicted, then your light shall rise for you in the darkness and the gloom shall become for you like midday. The Lord will guide you always and give you plenty even on the parched land. He will renew your strength and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring whose water never fails. That is you if you remove oppression from your midst, if you stop false speech, if you bestow this world's goods on those who are truly needy, then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and you will be truly renewed, and you will be called repairer of the breach, restorer of the ruined homesteads. If your family life is in chaos now, God gives you now this moment to experience his grace, to be a restorer of ruined homesteads by repenting of your sins and by being generous to the poor. Matthew was of a people who were conquered by the Romans. Everything seemed in disarray. And God gave him a chance, a moment. God gives you this chance to be more, to be more for him, for his kingdom, and for his glory. 
It's been a beautiful day. But now let us seize the moment. This is our moment when he says, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand to send the kingdom of the evil one and his minions packing through the power that comes from Christ himself. He alone is the one who is the true restorer of, repairer of the breach and restorer of our ru ruined homesteads. And if that ruined homestead is our heart, now it is time to let him enter and to let also his mother enter in. From that moment, he took her into his home and said of the beloved disciple, and you are called to be a disciple, a follower, a learner from Jesus Christ, that true teacher. But you are called not just to be a disciple, but a missionary, to go and share with others what God has done for you. What does the name of Jesus mean? God saves. God saves. So now how will you say thank you? I think about my whole life, the parents I had, the family, my brothers, all the blessings, setbacks, everything. And there are many more blessings than failures. And I think of the words of the psalmist. What thanks shall I render unto the Lord for all the good things he has rendered unto me? The cup of salvation I will take up, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. My brothers... Let us call upon the name of the Lord to strengthen us in our vocations, that we may be the men and the church he has called to be, not for our glory, but for his. To Christ be all power, glory, and adoration, now and forever. Amen.